consciousness needs to evolve in order to solve the world's problems today. And positive spin on the problems of today is it's forcing us to get above the level of the problem. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. Uh, today's guest is Susan Campbell. Uh, I met Susan in the late 1970s at an intentional community in Southern California when she was writing a book called Earth Community, identifying a new trend that we used to call back then back to the land or intentional communities. And she has identified trends and been a leader ever since. Susan received her PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Massachusetts Amherst in 1967. Two years later, she went on to become a member of the school's prestigious graduate faculty, where she founded their couple and family therapy graduate program in 1971. She has also received extensive postdoctoral training in couple and family therapy, group dynamics, organizational development, gestalt therapy, NLP, psychosynthesis, and Buddhist psychology. Since 1970, she's been a couple therapist, relationship coach, speaker, workshop leader, trainer of professional coaches, college professor, certified radical honesty trainer, and founding teacher of the Getting Real Work. The Getting Real Work is a body of communication and awareness practices that foster personal healing and social evolution. She has written 11 books, including Earth Community, uh, other books on relationships, uh, several bestsellers, her groundbreaking book, The Couple's Journey, Intimacy as a Path to Wholeness, published in 1980, was the first popular book that introduced mainstream audiences to the idea of relationship as a spiritual practice. Her best-known book, besides this one, um, are Getting Real, Saying What's Real, Truth and Dating, Beyond the Power Struggle, the Everything Great Sex Book, and The Five-Minute Relationship Repair. And now Susan Campbell. Welcome, Susan Campbell, to What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post-Carbon Institute. Uh, and um, I just want to say that you and I go way back. And I think we've recognized each other this whole time in all our iterations as social healers. We have an oh, we have now an open sort of an infected wound in our country. We call it polarization, but that may not be the diagnosis. It just may be the symptom. And both sides call the other fake news. At the same time, we have problems that, got, that have to be solved, and not the least of which is the background unraveling of the natural world. Um, and I believe you are also concerned in addressing through your tools, this split in our national psyche. And since the pandemic, we've been caught up in immediate issues and old traumas are surfacing. And I'm fairly sure that you are seeing possibilities through these veils of confusion and immediacy. And I'm so glad you're my guest. Uh, so I can pitch you our one question in the midst of all that seems to be going awry, what do you see emerging that could possibly go right? And over to you, Susan. Okay, what could possibly go right? 
Well, I've been a student of this phrase, you can't solve the problem at the level the problem was created. How do you get above the level of the problem? And I see so many movements and so many, I'll call them relational technologies that address this. Basically, it's how to work with polarity. You know, we're, we're now seeing polarization, which is the extreme result of not being able as humans at our current level of development, at our, the, the level of the problem that we're speaking at is us and them finger pointing, projecting my unconscious parts on onto you. Like just, I mean, I'm right in this moment, what just popped in was the um, the religious righteousness of the people in the Middle East and being very threatened by the um, the lack the lack of like religious fervor in the U.S. and maybe you know that's a that's a polarity like self orientation versus communal orientation. I mean, there's so many polarities. But maybe you can't solve the problem on the level of the problem. But if you see above that, if you get to a higher vantage point, and there's, you know, there's, I'll name some of the technologies that I'm aware of in a minute, but just to kind of give you an example, maybe there is a point to humanity being a little more balanced between material concerns and spiritual concerns. You know, that's one of the age old polarities. Yin and Yang. <laughs> Everyone has heard of that. <laughs> uh, self and other. So these polarity. That's so. That's what I mean. I just wanted to define some terms here. Polarities are things like that. They're just built into the human uh, ev evolutionary fabric. It seems. I, I when and when I say evolution, I mean these are the lessons on the hero's journey that we're all traversing mm -hmm. is, and so one of them is how to work with polarity so that it doesn't lead to extreme polarization. So that, because at, at extreme polarization, you're, you're not listening to each other. You're not seeing the value in both. So getting above the level of problem starts with some kind of, oh, maybe there's value in both. Uh, so let me just name some of the technologies that I'm aware of, and then maybe we can, we can come back to um, the, the more philosophical, you know, how, how consciousness needs to evolve in order to solve the world's problems today. And positive spin on the problems of today is it's forcing us to get above the level of the problem. This is one of those evolutionary drivers that Barbara Marks Hubbard used to talk about. So um, I've got so much here because I've done, I've been for 50 years, I've been a conflict resolution specialist. So some of these things, you know, I know you're looking for emerging trends, but this, this is still an emerging trend. Um, the, the subculture that I've always been part of are sort of the learning learning and development and growth and conscious evolution 
subculture. Okay, so some of these things are still emerging trends because people in my world are, I'm gonna say they're more the professors. The professors are the scouts. I, I've been a college mm. professor mm. and I understand the difference between the ivory tower and the real world. <laughs> I mean, mm. um, so us professors, even though I'm no longer, that's not my primary identity, any, identity anymore, us professors have the luxury of looking at society as a whole and saying what's needed here. And so, you know, back in the 60s, we talked about things like decentralization and uh, real democracy. You know, what are the skills for real democracy? So let me, um, let me just talk about some of the actual techniques that in some ways have been tested over the last 50 years, but I don't think they've quite become mainstream yet, but they can, they, they still show promise. So there's a lot of large group, um, I call them relational technologies, ways to manage diversity in a, in a large group. And uh, the ones that I'm familiar with are the fish, there's like, these are group designs now, right. fishbowl fish bowl design. Okay, one of the things that I um, was involved in a lot in the uh, 60s was the, the fishbowl design where Blacks and whites are, they, call it, they used to call them black, white encounter groups, but they were basically blacks and whites coming together to share what it's like to be me with regard to the question of race. Uh, yeah, so that we're talking about the fishbowl and the black yeah, and white. Yeah, so if it, you know, just the, I mean, there's a, there's, there's wonderful, so let's, let's say the, the blacks are in the center and the whites are in the outer circle and the idea is to share from the heart with, with your people, you know, just with each other. You're not sharing with the whites outside with what's your, what's your life been like with respect to systemic oppression or you know, fam, fam, family experiences, what you were taught and so forth. Just all, all the traumas basically people would share. And then, and then the outer circle would mirror back empathetic comments or questions. And then the inner circle, you know, then the whites would talk about their, their own uh, traumatic experiences with regard to race, whatever those may be, uh, in, including systemic ki kinds of issues. Because um, back in those days, a lot of the whites were feeling very, very guilty about being white and so forth. So, um, so, so there's that technology. There's um, people who are also, and I used to do that with men and women too. The women would get in the center and the men would be on the outside. And this is a very, this, it's the idea of being with your own people, but you're witnessed by somebody else. And then the other people are with their own people and being witnessed. What this does, it helps to develop a witness consciousness. Right. Because we step back and we debrief the whole thing 
as one collective and we see, oh, some of these same systemic oppressions affect both races, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with men and women. So it's, it's a, there's the need to be able to just step back and observe. That's the key um, skill, I think, that's, that's, that's coming forth now. Um, in the couple, couple's work, I'll just say, because I've been a couple's relationship coach f- for so long, the idea in couple's work is helping the couple see their mutual reactive cycle. The more she questions, the more he hides, but the more he hides, the more she questions. So helping a couple observe their process, observe, gee, every fight looks like the same fight here, doesn't it? Again, they get above the level of, hey, you need to change so I can feel better, Mm -hmm. power struggle thinking, and they get to the, wait, we collectively have a problem. And that's the same, that's the same uh, technique used in a win-win negotiation. And this is you know, a classic phrase from negotiation, a certain, you know, the type that they teach at the Harvard school and so forth, right. social relations, uh, you know, the more enlightened forms of negotiation are, right. it's not the other person that's the problem, it's your difference that's the problem. And again, mm. when people start seeing things from one eye, it's almost like the third eye and they start seeing things, they are working together toward a creative solution. And, and it's, it's, it's always like this. I mean, I, there's so many real life examples of how once you, you drop your, you got to change, a whole lot of creative problem solving energy gets released. And let me, let me just say something else in, in schools. I used to work with schools a lot and, um, be you know, an organizational consultant. And one of the big things was teachers. We have the, let's, let's, let's call it the, the conservatives and the progressives, but I call them the fast changers and the slow changers. Mm. I try not to make anybody wrong in this, but when you've got a, a, a group of people, you almost always, some kind of polarity and polarization emerges. Those of us who've done a lot of group work, we just see this over and over. And so much of the time, the polarity that emerges are like the new teachers in a school. Oh, we want to try all the new techniques and you know, bring creativity into the classroom. And then the older, usually age-wise, people more close to retirement would be more the slow changers. Oh, that's just another fad. We've seen that so many times. You know, don't 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 buy that. Let's just stay the course, do what we're doing. That's that's all we need. And of course, this mimics the political polarization between the red states and the blue states right now. How do people then get get in the optimum size groups like the groups that I used to do for teachers? Because that was one one school. And then I go to another school. Uh, And then sometimes I work with the whole school system, but that's a scale of working with people 
where there's face-to-face interaction. You're, you're a human being to me because I'm, you know, I'm hearing, I'm hearing how you have gone through, you know, you're, a, I'm a fast changer. You're a slow changer. And you have been burned by being sent to all these programs. And, and then, you know, then there's a new program and it doesn't really seem to do any good. You know, that really listening to the life experience of one another, it's human contact is so powerful. So how do we get, you know, there's, there is that question in, in this highly polarized country of ours today, how do we get the right scale for having these conversations? But there are, you know, there's lots of wonderful movements. I see the empathy circles is one, but again, those are small groups. There's the braver angels, again, small groups. Um, back, Back in the day, when NTL Institute was uh, a successful happening operation, and they were they were um, mainly group and organizational and systems change um, kinds of things, they would do a lot of things for whole communities. I remember going into the community of Dover, New Hampshire. That was one of our uh, clients. A whole community with all the different stakeholders, and there there are large group designs. One of them is called Future Search. Right. Uh, originated by Marv Weisbord. And I've, I've co-led these things with him and all the different stakeholders. You know, you have to have these giant rooms, but it is possible. Oh, you have, you have the, the school and the welfare department and the local businesses, all, all are represented and and they're all pretty much looking at the same question about what what does our community need to thrive or some you know some common common question but each person has a, has a different answer and polarity happens but there's 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 a listening field that um that does create human connection let me just say something more about the, the importance of, of human connection. Oh, and by the way, just when I say human connection, you know, there's this whole authentic relating movement worldwide. It's, have you heard of authentic relating? Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's very much about tuning into the other person's world. It's, there's a circle, there's a movement called circling and authentic relating, but these are two technologies that kind of grow from the NTL model that I was talking about before. NTL used to be called National Training Laboratories. Right. Um, and, and they published a lot of books about large group designs. I mean, there's, there's lots of literature out there about these, these models. In fact, I, I've got a book that I wrote back in the 60s that has some of those large group designs in them. Um, but uh, just coming back to let's see where did I where did I want to come back to I, I I was talking about human connection oh the the T groups that I used to do during the sixties and seventies for businesses and T groups are basically you sit in a room with twelve other people pretty much from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. You have breaks and you do meals and some recreational things together. But basically, you're just sitting in a room 
could, you could say self-disclosing about what's true for you, what's painful for you. And what we had in those days, the polarity that would emerge was the hawks and the doves with respect mm-hmm. to the Vietnam War. And I remember, and, and it, because this was a business audience and it wasn't uh, coming from just growth junkies, mm-hmm. uh, these were really managers and your, your company sent you and paid for you. So they weren't exactly the most um, growth oriented people. But it seems like everybody just wants to be heard and attended to. And so when people could feel the attention of the group and you know if the attention wasn't there, um, that was an opportunity to, to do trigger work, which I'll probably mention because that's my, my latest way of getting above the level of the problem is noticing your own triggers and getting some perspective on, on the um, polarities within the self. But just right. so in the T groups, if there was triggering going on, we would we would work with your your inner. Um, what are you projecting onto that other person? You, you, if that person works for a company who makes bombs, that was one of the issues that would come up. You know, how can you how can you work for that company? And but it was the way I just said it maybe was the way they would start out asking it. But as we noticed, okay, what's the edge there? Because that's what my job, the facilitator is, what's the edge there? How can you work for that company? Feel into your own feelings about that. And once you kind of have done some of that inner work, you realize you've got some kind of a fear there of the other. You've made that person Uh the So we watch for intonations, phrases that indicate that I am making you the other. And then when I go deeper into myself, I realize that some some core fear that I've carried around for a long time. Um, I am chock-a-block right now with questions. So okay. we just pause for a little yeah, bit? Yeah. So if I, I know, think, I've just got all these. I know. Um, I know. And you know, you're ways, speaking you know, from ways the, that people have dealt with this. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking from the heyday mm-hmm. of the sense of possibility yeah. that these technologies were coming forth because we had a sense that it was possible Yes. Um, that there was space in society, that there was enough cohesion, there was enough baseline cohesion that we, you know, there was a ground of being that we could speak into that would want to grow in the presence of really respectful listening. I mean, I was involved. I've been involved in the art of hosting. I started the conversation cafes. I come from that belief. Yeah. Um, and yet, and I don't mean to like, you know, turn the screws on us. I feel that, um, you know, there are right now, as we're in this sort of sea of confusion, that there are sprouts of authoritarianism. Like I want to resolve this conflict, not by listening to the other, but by gathering with the people who think like I do, you know, I think, People are trying to resolve the conflict and there is no facilitator of these conversations. 
And so the conflict is getting resolved by withdrawing from one another. It's almost like we're in a, um, we're in an, a failing relationship, if you will, in this country. I, I had a relationship that I, I did one of the first do-it-yourself divorces. And we, I was trained to say to the judge, we have irreconcilable um, differences that have led to the irremediable breakdown of our marriage, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I wonder, so I'm just want to focus on this right now that there are tools, you mm-hmm. know, that you and I, and many people have carried and they're amazing and they work when people are willing to let them work. Mm-hmm. We're at a scale where the people in the room are this whole country yeah. and we're, you know, we're actually ripping apart rural, urban, coastal, central, red, blue. Uh, and, you know, there are representatives of this, you know, you could say Bernie and Trump, if you will. You know, <laughs> um, and so where do you see mm-hmm. now in this moment, mm-hmm. emergent social healing that is that is producing the kinds of results or promise, you know, mm-hmm. that has a promise of producing the results that you're talking about that we were able to do in the sixties and seventies and even eighties. Yeah. Well, there is a gradual um, awareness of system dynamics. I mean, again, we were preaching that in the sixties and seventies too, systems thinking, but um you know, just in terms of the, the, the race conversation, for example, people used to say, I, you know, I'm not prejudiced. Some of my best friends are black or stuff like that. And now the conversation has been elevated quite a bit to awareness of systemic racism and, and that oh, so prob- problems are being seen much more systemically. Uh, leaders... I, the, the, I'm trying to think if there's any leaders that I know. See, leaders need to be shepherds for the, for the, for the whole. And in terms of rhetoric, Obama was pretty good at that, at least in terms of his rhetoric. He was inspiring that, that kind of consciousness. Um, but yes, that was, you know, that was quite a few years ago now too. exactly so, yeah so but but he's the closest and and you know many imperfections there because it was just the rhetoric and we didn't bring it down to um the whole democrat the whole democratic institutions so honestly i don't i don't i don't see any emerging leaders who really have yeah. Well, what about the women, you know, in the Nordic countries and Jacinta Ardern? I mean, if we get outside the bounds of the United States, yeah. do you see this? Oh. Do you see this happening? Do you see leaders who are basically holding space for the country to resolve their differences? You know, I want to. Um, I don't have any. I, 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 I. I would like to say that there's individuals who are embodying these principles, but I, th- I think the principles are alive and well and are still in the collective, the principles of getting how to get above the level of the problem. Who's embodying that at this point? 
I, I guess some, can I try some people out? Can you help, can you help yeah. me there? Reverend Barber. Okay, I don't know Reverend Barber. The Poor People's Campaign. Mm. You know, uh, leaders in the, in the Black church, mm -hmm. you know, it almost feels like you, the one thing you cited was mm -hmm. fundamentally it's Black Lives Matter. It's the people of color having, have, having grown, while maybe white people have not. Mm -hmm. But they have grown in their analysis and, and, and basically indigenous people as well. There's some beautiful people. I interviewed uh, Julian Brave Noiskat and I interviewed uh, Lila June Johnston. You know, there are people who are bringing forward and Sherry Mitchell um, who are bringing forward teachings from indigenous peoples not to reify them, not to say that they had perfect societies at all, not to say that they didn't make mistakes. Um, and um, so I don't mean to like, you know, reverse the interview, but I'm just sort of suggesting that you, the one thing you cited was the racial, that we are beginning to be a country, even with all the reactivity that is grappling with you know, our racist past. Mm -hmm. yep. And, um, you know, not liking it, maybe the language, you know, infuriates and inflames people, maybe we're, they were triggered every which way from Sunday. But the conversation is happening. And I think it's being brought forward by people of color. Yeah. We had Reverend Yearwood on of the Hip Hop Caucus on the podcast. And he brought that forward, you know, he brought forth, forward the blindness of the environmental movement that it didn't form common cause with the social justice movement. And we lost, you know, like easily a decade. So, you know, and then whether it's Fridays for the Future or the Sunrise Movement, you know, and, and the youth, some of them have quite a, a demanding hard edge because they're the butt of this. Yeah. Um, however, I think they're solutionaries, you know, um, not solutionaries like the Solutionary Caucus in the Congress, which is, you know, it's like we look to, to the government to lead us. And I don't think they're leading. Yeah. And I, I think the, I think it's the communities of color that are actually doing the healing work. You know, when you talked about when you talk we've about always we've always kind of known that it's the most marginalized people who have the best perspective on the problem. Yeah. The, 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 the people of color and the women. I mean, that's kind of always been ever since I've been an adult the way it is. And we can't depend on, you know, the centralized authorities, the elected officials, because they have too, too much vested interest in the existing order. Totally. So do you, you know, with those prompts, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth or perceptions, mm -hmm. do you, when you look at that sphere of the marginalized people, the women, people of color, indigenous peoples, people in other, you know, maybe social democracies, I don't know, people who are not in countries that are tending toward authoritarianism, do you see movements that are embodying those fishbowl, if you will, the, the deep listening, the, that, do you well, see that? Um, the authentic relating movement is worldwide. 
and it it is um, a sophisticated around systems thinking, but it is not really designed to lar for large systems change. It's it's really more culture change. See, and that's the and and, and that's been my um, area of, mm -hmm. of witnessing is is the whole thing about what prompts culture change. So I don't have specific knowledge of movements or, or individuals. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you another I one. I can't answer that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Um, so, uh, okay. So if I ruled the world every day would be, you know, the first day of spring. So yeah, just wave a magic wand, Susan. If you could convene the conversation mm -hmm. that you believe mm -hmm. would produce the healing, mm -hmm. what sorts of things do you, what, what would you include in that? What, how would you see that? Okay. So um, let's say we could convene a family meeting of the family of humans in the U.S., yeah. So let's let's picture that. And what do you do in a family meeting? Each each person gets to say, "What's it feel like for you to be in this family? What's mm. what's the what's the good news? What are you? What needs get met here, and what needs don't get met here? And everybody gets to be heard by everybody else somehow. Um, and there is a there is a facilitator who um, works with the family to help, I mean, works with the, you know, yeah, the collective to help people express. And then the facilitator is rotated. So sometimes the 12 year old kid gets to be the facilitator. If you can just um. think of this as a family meeting. Sometimes the grandmother gets to be the facilitator. Rotating the facilitator function helps each person begin to take on the mantle of, wait a minute, this is a whole collection of very diverse viewpoints. I can't dominate here. How my job, my job really is to create a conversation and a decision process that serves the whole, like the leader's job is to serve the good of the whole, but people don't get that knowledge internalized unless they've um, had the experience of trying to be a facilitator and I'm trying to mm -hmm. herd all these cats, you know? So, and that's, and that's something that rotating facilitator thing is, is something that a lot of businesses today do. A lot of corporations actually do that to try to help people get, you know, develop their leadership jobs. But back to um, how I would, how I would structure this. So then there would probably be, um, I mean, there'd be some polarities that would emerge. So um, I, I would ask, okay, let's say the a polarity would be a polarity that emerges is, um, let's pick one that's uh, like the COVID thing. Okay, let's pick, let's pick that. Everybody who is, in, in, who, who thinks that, um, hey, whether you get the vaccine 
or not is not just a personal issue, it is also a public health issue. So we have to think of it in a more complex way than just individual freedom. Okay, everybody who believes that, you go over to that corner. Um, everybody who believes that personal freedoms are the, the ultimate value in this country, nobody, need, nobody can get in the way of me making decisions, uh, uh, you know, especially around something as important as health. And so you guys go over to the other side. And then I'll, I, this is a design I've used in different, different polarities. What's the, what's the vulnerability? I mean, yeah, we, you know, you can talk about what you, you know, how you all agree and stuff like that. You know, I'll have them do some kind of bonding thing. Like, you know, what do you like and what do you respect about, you know, yourself because you're over there and what do you like and respect because you're over there. So we do a little group bonding, but then each group considers what's the vulnerability of being, of holding this position? What have I suffered? And this is something, you know, I did these COVID culture wars conversations and some of the things that people would say, what, no, I've, I've suffered, somebody asked me, why I don't want to get the vaccine, but then they just cut me off before I even have a chance to tell them. And so people talk about different vulnerability uh, or um, it's mostly has to, you know, their vulnerabilities mostly have to do with feeling judged, discounted by the other side. And they have a, a tale to tell, you know, they have a, a little mini story and then, and they share that. So, people telling their individual stories of what has been a vulnerability. It's again, I think the, the, the willingness to share at that level, you know, first you're sharing it in your little subgroup with the people you like, but then I would facilitate people talking about in, you know, in the large group and you just sort of stand there and tell your story. If we, if we had a, a room big enough for the whole US. <laughs> you know, but you, we, this could be scaled down into you know, smaller subgroups and so forth. Um, and almost any, almost any chunk of 20 people is gonna have some people on one side and some people on, on the other side. It just seems to work that way. I'm not sure exactly why. Um, so, so once, you know, once people are all human beings to each other, so that's, you know, that's the next step. You're, you're building leadership capacity by, by rotating the facilitator, that looking at the whole. You're, you're building um, human connection. Then how, how do you create some kind of united um, perception? What do we need? And um, that generally would that would probably require what that what I was going to say is that generally requires in order to really influence another person, you have to build some kind of relationship with them, and to you know to do that with a large group takes a person who has arrived at that level of there's you know not black and white thinking but. It's our difference that's the problem. 
And, but that begins to emerge is, whoa, we, we like each other, we respect each other. We've seen the pain that this difference causes both sides. So we've, we've got all that now. How, now how important is it to get a resolution? You know, what, and what does it actually feel like to not have um, resolution with somebody that you've now bonded with? Uh, like, a, you know, go back to a married couple as an example. What does that feel like? It's so pain. I, I hate it when we have fights like this, you know, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, couples can say that with great sincerity without at all having resolved their difference. They're still at odds, but they, but they hate, I hate having this difference. And I, I know from facilitating some of these groups that one of the core things is, wow, your reality, one of the core pains when people get to the level in the family meeting that I've gotten us to, it's, it, is, it is so painful to feel like we are watching different movies here. We're listening, we're listening to different newscasters. We're buying into different cultural memes. But gee, I can, I can see that you're not that different from me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and being able to agree that that in itself is a, is a shared pain, not being able to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. now, that takes a lot of pre-work in terms of you know, breaking down stereotypes and stuff like that. And um, so in my COVID culture wars thing, what I do is help people get really interested and curious about their perceptual filters like their childhood wounds, their actual experiences with um, the medical profession and, and with pharmaceutical drugs in the past, for example. You know, number of filters, uh, personality style, the subgroup that you identify with, whether it's progressive, liberal, conservative, so forth, um, patriot. So, um, people getting perspective on their filters is another way of getting above the level of the problem. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's like a educational part of the design. Most of it's interactive and personal and sharing, but then there's a little educational where you go, okay, which of these, uh, you know, what are, what's your filter around your childhood trauma, for example? Mm -hmm. And so, so I think you saw one, you saw a video where I worked with a guy who felt that government overreach was a problem in terms of the vaccine. I don't want anybody controlling me. And when he did some inner work and inquired into his childhood wounds around that, it happened that he had very controlling parents. And uh, so he was working that issue. Now, not everybody in this family meeting is gonna be interested in personal growth at that level, but it is an emerging trend. There's a right. you know, huge trend of mindful, you know, mindfulness education. Um, you know, my work on trigger work, um, yeah. social emotional uh, learning. You know, emotional learning. Gabor Mate just yeah. big, the wisdom of trauma. So there's there's really a lot more uh, willingness. 
to be curious about childhood work. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just one filter. I'm, I'm not saying that's the, the whole solution, but if you mm-hmm. understand your filters and you know how to work with the warring factions within yourself, and that's, that's really what I call trigger work. It's working with the inner polarities. So that would have to be a little part of this family meeting that I'm describing. Wow. Susan, this is great. I, I think we need to, in, in just, uh, I try to keep my interviews such that somebody could take a run and listen to the whole thing. And then, um, you know, so we're not Joe Rogan, <laughs> you know, but um, this is so uh, stimulating. Um, for example, social healing. Mm-hmm. There are there. I mean, you know, you know, healing the collective. There are, as you say, there are many efforts. Mm-hmm. And I would bet. I mean, I see the ones that are in the more sort of new, what we used to call new age. I don't even know what it's called anymore. But um, consciousness. Uh, I see the ones that are in, you know, sort of my tribe. But I'll bet anything this is happening in the churches, um, you know, where we just have to learn to not hate. We just have to learn to not hate because Christ didn't hate. So we need to not hate. You know, Muhammad taught us not to hate. You know, Buddhism teaches us to rise above. So I wonder if one of the things that's emerging is out of the pain of watching our society sort of rip apart as people are watching their families rip apart, is that people are trying to find ways to do exactly the kind of work you're saying. I also think of, you know, I think there are you know, it's not necessarily political. I'm just thinking when you're talking about Van Jones. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Van, but yeah, he he mm-hmm. has he has done mm-hmm. quite a few listening initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, respectful, you know. He tried to work with I forget the the I forget the politician's name. Probably, you know, it's an unconscious thing, but you know, somebody who is like clearly on the right. Mm-hmm. You know, he tries to do this. I think about my friend John DeGraff, who I also have interviewed, who is doing, he's constantly doing initiatives on consumerism and time where he shows the suffering of both sides. He shows that and he's working on beauty now. So I wonder if it is this dimension of our, our, you know, like those, not the marshmallow experiments, but the experiments where the, the, you see the kids like grappling with sharing versus selfishness, you know, and you watch. I wonder if there's something inbred that we're social creatures that, that you know, is getting pulled on everywhere, you know, and... And so it's not a trend per se. It's not in any one thing per se. It's in an impulse that naturally arises in human beings in the presence of this breaking apart. Yeah. And that is what could be <laughs> possibly going right. So anyway, if you have any final reflection for a minute or two, and then we'll wrap up. Just um The impulse to connect seems to be in humans and there seems to be pain when you're trying to connect with somebody who sees the world so differently than yourself. And the biggest example of this in our our culture is family members. 
mm-hmm. or at a, a different political different place on the political spectrum or on the to get vaccinated or not spectrum. yeah it's like uh and we're recording this right before thanksgiving 2021 yeah. and uh we, we'll see if we can have small group conversations Lovely. collectively around a national holiday in which forgiveness and gratitude are the keynote so thank you so oh. much susan Great to talk to you today, Vicki. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com. <laughs>